the pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to, let me just have a quick Google, Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Or, <laughs> Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. <laughs> It'd be nice if they could make their minds up about how that name's pronounced, don't you think? Maybe? Maybe? Anyway. Maybe they're just being realistic. Getting it wrong. Realistically. It's like, well, Dumbledore doesn't get it wrong, does he? Well, he wouldn't. Yeah, well. Waggle, see. waggle. Yeah, he's a user of that very popular app, Grin, Grinder. Grin, Grin, Grindle. I see what you're trying to do. You see it? It's not really working, but I see, <laughs> it, is. I see that it's I think, there. I think you'll find it is. Hmm. Appius Expelliarmius! <laughs> Joining me over the next 45 minutes or so to talk about the 10th, this is the 10th film in the Wizarding Worldiverse of Harry Potter. That's exciting, isn't it? Means we could do a ranking episode on this on this now. Uh, joining me over the next forty five minutes or so to talk about this movie in detail. I was going to say great detail, but we've only got forty five minutes. Uh, our three Potterheads, not potheads, it's a very different thing. Uh, three Potterheads of uh, different. Uh, how do you see? Are you are you big Potterhead, Helen O'Hara? Uh, I wasn't. Uh, I was a moderate Potterhead, and then I did all those interviews for that thing we did uh, in the magazine. Oh yeah, and and kind of became one accidentally. <laughs> Accidental Sorry. Potterhead. Yeah. Uh, big time Potterhead is Ben Travis. Hello. How are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking through this. There's loads of stuff to dig into, big revelations, etc. Um, yeah, interesting developments all around. There's a lot to talk about in this movie. Yeah. There genuinely is quite a lot to talk about in this film. Mm. Probably should have given ourselves more than 45 minutes, but so it goes. <laughs> If only I had a time turner. <laughs> hey, good knowledge. You see, I know this stuff. And last but not least, where do you stand on Harry Potter, Amon Warman? Moderate Potterhead. Um, moderate Potterhead? Yes, moderate. I love the initial Harry Potter books. Um, and I've seen all the films, obviously. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm not on Helen's level. And I suspect... I'm not on Ben's level, if he's saying what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Helen did take me to a wonderful Harry Potter shop uh, the, other, the mm. other day, which was really, really cool. The House of Mina Lima in oh, Soho. Yeah, if you happen there. to be in London, yep. Soho, I highly recommend it. Just You don't have to be a Potterhead. It's it's just a genuinely beautiful little place that is interesting mm. to walk around. And right now they've got a Crimes of Grindelwald exhibition, right? They they've do, got all yes. of the stuff that they designed mm. for this film. So, And they've also got a Crimes of Grindelwald Exhibition <laughs> in the Grindel Vault. <laughs> hey! All right, okay, we'll be getting into the film and we'll be answering or trying our best to answer uh, your questions that you sent in to me via DM. Just after this next bit, Ben here interviewed the film's Davids. Heyman, producer, longtime producer of the Harry Potter movies, and Yates, director of the last six Harry Potter films. We're counting these two as Harry Potter films, okay? Just, you know, just make sure everything's everyone's on the same page with that. Uh, David Yates, David Heyman, very recently, and went full spoiler with him for about 20 minutes. So uh, let's get straight into it now. And as ever, I should need to say by this point, but this is a spoiler special. We're going to be getting into this film. Third Act Revelations ending the whole kit and caboodle. So if you have not seen Fantastic Beasts to Crimes of Grindelwald, then hide thee to your nearest multiplex and uh, buy a ticket and then come back. Okay? Are they gone? Seem to be. They seem to be gone. All right, here we go. David's Yates and Heyman talking to Ben's Travis and Travis. Enjoy. Hey, Chris here, just jumping in briefly to say that this interview was recorded in a hotel room and not under studio conditions, and therefore there were some sound issues. Sorry about that. 
there is a little bit of hissing and popping on here that may be uncomfortable for some. But if you are up for it, Yates and Heyman do talk lots about the ending here, Dumbledore and all. So, enjoy. So welcome to the Empire <laughs> podcast. Spoiler special for Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald. Yes. Uh, we've got David Yates, the director of the film, and David Heyman, the producer. How are you guys doing? Good. Yeah. yeah, thank you. Looking forward to sharing the film with a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, there is a lot There is a lot to go through here, so I'm going to uh, hop straight into it with the, the big gut punch just before the credits roll that uh, Credence Barebone, he is not... Corvus Lestrange, he's not a Lestrange, he is a Dumbledore, he is Aurelius Dumbledore. Uh, That's a huge reveal uh, to send people out with. What can you tell me about uh, how Aurelius fits into the Dumbledore family tree? There are so many kind of possibilities there between uh, Aberforth, um, who's uh, Albus's brother, and uh, Ariana and the history there. What can you tell me about that reveal and that moment? It was always very much part of how the script um, started, and it was the big. It was always the big climax of the script, right from the very first draft. And there's a lot of there's a lot of. I mean, and I know this is a kind of spoiler special, but there's a lot to come in the next story mm-hmm. that really. So, at risk of not wanting to spoil what's to come, I don't think we probably want to talk too much about the sort of intricacies of the family yeah. tree, as it were, mm-hmm. other than. We were all gobsmacked when we read that first screenplay, that first draft, to see that he, you know, that Credence was actually a Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. We didn't know it was coming. It was we didn't know it was coming. We had the oh, same experience. The same. You went, read wow. it and went, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was and all those possible theories, is that what you f- want fans to be thinking of for the next couple yeah. of years in the run-up to the next? That there are various ways that this could play out of how he fits in. Correct. And there's a very intricate, lovely, um, with a, again beginning of three that we discover a few things about yeah, the family. I think, I think you know, what, what, one of the great pleasures of, of, of this film and of continuing to work in Fantastic Beasts is, is you know, we are getting closer to the beginning of the Harry Potter mm-hmm. stories and the connective tissue between the two worlds as it were, or the two time frames becomes more pronounced. Mm-hmm. So clearly we do know that the Grindelwald and, 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 and Dumbledore is central to this uh, this series mm-hmm. um, and we have an idea of, 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 of in a broad sense of where that might go but clearly Dumbledore is a character himself who he's not exactly the Dumbledore of the Harry Potter films yeah. in a way this is the Dumbledore before this is the making of the Dumbledore mm-hmm. But Dumbledore is someone who is riddled with demons. You know, he's, uh, he, he, when he's manipulating uh, Newt or Harry, he's not doing it maliciously or with, 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 you know, he wouldn't want to harm them in any way at all. He's doing mm-hmm. it with, with, you know, for, for his own version of the greater good. I mean, you know, Grindelwald talks about the greater good, but, but, but Dumbledore's really doing it to protect uh, for, for the for, for wiz, wiz, wizard kind mm-hmm. and humankind, I mean, you, kind. you were mentioning there Dumbledore as a manipulator. What, one thing that we find out here is that it was actually Dumbledore who sent Newt to America in the first place. Yeah. Um, is there any possibility that that Albus Dumbledore knew about Aurelius? No, it's a very key question, mm. and um, the thing is, if he knows about Credence being his brother, I think that sort of 
presents certain issues and certain problems. So there's a there's a level of discovery. He's all he's always supposed to be all knowing, and but even the brilliant mind of Dumbledore sometimes can't see around a corner. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think. I mean, again, things are evolving in the third draft, and Joe has this amazing ability to kind of surprise us often with a revelation or two here and there. But we've been working on the assumption, and that this doesn't necessarily remain the case because mm-hmm. the script storytelling process is a fluid process, as you know. It's kind yeah. of it's dynamic. Um, that Dumbledore, so there's a dis, there's a you know that it's a revelation for him too. But you know what? I mean, as we forge this story forward with Joe. She'll, she'll have a much clearer take on that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of as we were working into the, the sort of meat and the, the bones of this story, we worked on the premise that Dumbledore was not aware mm-hmm. of Credence's existence as his brother. Otherwise, he would have had a whole different sort of strategy. To That was the principle of how we developed Mm-hmm. the psychology of how the actors were working. It's funny because I've just look, been looking at some materials that are going to go on the DVD. Oh, yeah. Sent, we'll probably have a look. Yeah, have a look. Uh, but there's one about mm-hmm. Dumbledore. And one of the things that Joe says that is she sat down with Jude uh, when he got the part, just the two of them, and she went through everything she knew about Dumbledore. Wow, okay. Everything that happened before and everything that happened that leads up to the Harry Potter films because she felt it was important for him as an actor mm-hmm. to understand his character and to have a sense of uh, have a stronger sense of who he was. She said that she'd never told anybody before because exactly because of what they said. <laughs> you know, she has very clear ideas, but she mm-hmm. is open to change. And actually, one of the incredible things about developing this screenplay is how you know she is she is so collaborative and is fluid and is figuring some things out as she goes. Though she has a pretty clear idea of where it goes, mm-hmm. but being open open to adapting if and changing if needed. But I think now, vis-a-vis what you were saying about Dumbledore. Um, and ha- leaving herself room to change, I think she's now settling in on on what he knows and what he doesn't know, and all that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, the actors knowing about their characters in the uh, beforehand, um, it's often spoken about as Ezra Miller being um, one of the biggest sort of Potter fans uh, in this new cast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his reaction when he found out that he was uh, going to be a Dumbledore? Did- oh, he went nuts. I mean, he is, <laughs> you know what, he is so, oh. such a passionate, lovely human being and mm-hmm. incredible. he's a, rem- a remarkable, remarkable man, young man. Yeah, we, we're really um, and yeah, he we actually had a, as part of that sort of uh, DVD sort of extra bits and pieces we showed, we gave a special showing of uh, key moments of the film as we were finishing it to both Ezra and Ivana mm-hmm. Lynch who played Luna Lovegood so they could see the sort of climactic moment when that reveal comes. I mean, obviously Ezra knew about it, but and the two of them, both complete Potter heads, mm-hmm. just you could hear the sort of scream through the other half of the building when, <laughs> when it came to that climax. And um, he was beyond excited. He brings a real rigour as well, Ezra, to the whole process because he's, he's sort of like that extreme fan who just loves the world it was particularly important to him as he was growing up, as it is to a lot of the fans and the people who love this world. Mm-hmm. It kind of it was a, a companion to their kind of this developing years, as it were. So he has that sort of super enthusiastic fandom, but he also has a rigor and a sort of a real sense of craft when he when he approaches the character, mm-hmm. you know. And he's sort of able to juggle those two things of super fan, but also. 
he's yes, we love him actually. Oh, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's a good guy. He's yeah. fantastic. And <laughs> as David said, a real enthusiast, really mm-hmm. passionate about Potter, and but and also very brave and bold in his choices. Yeah, yeah. yeah. on screen and mm-hmm. personally. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the small moments in that final scene is um, uh, with the Dumbledore connection, uh, a phoenix. Yes. Um, is that phoenix Forks or is that a different phoenix that we're seeing? Do you, do you know if that's the case? Was that mentioned in, in the screenplay that, that JK had written? Ooh, that's a good question. Ooh, you know what? Um, we're going to have to phone up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's phone a friend. Okay, one second. Um, <laughs> um, good question. I don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. I, don't know I, how, move- I don't know what the lifespan is for a phoenix. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'll move straight on because I've got so much to ask you. Um, mm-hmm. in the, uh, as well in the sort of end game of the film, uh, we see some of the lines being drawn and Queenie ends up siding with Grindelwald, which is another sort of big surprise. When did you know that? Did you know that from the last film? Um, what can you tell me about that choice? We knew that was going to happen pretty much as we were finishing film one. Mm-hmm. Jo was very, um, she said, she was very excited about that um, journey for Queenie. And she shared it with us very early, even before we saw a draft of the script, that Queenie ultimately would be tempted over to, because she was the one character you would, you would anticipate would not do that. Mm-hmm. And that was really fun to see um, that switch across. So we, we were all aware of it and we gave uh, Alison a heads up early that she was going to have quite an interesting journey in this second well, film. Yeah, and I think, I think uh, the fact that even Queenie can go over mm-hmm. is really significant. You know, the fact is, is that, for me, Grindelwald is a much scarier villain than Voldemort because Voldemort was pure evil. Mm-hmm. He, pers- people went over to, to follow Voldemort as much because of brute, his power and brute force than his power of persuasion. Mm-hmm. The thing about Grindelwald is he makes sense or he makes sense to people he, 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 he speaks to the needs that people have. He understands his audience mm-hmm. and he gives them what they want mm. to serve his own needs. So Queen, I understand Queenie who who's, wants to be with um, Jacob, but where the magical laws deny her that possibility. You can see why someone who tells her in his world, in, in, in the world that he will rule, mm-hmm. that she will be able to have what she wants. You understand why she goes over, and that makes it, um, to me, Grindelwald is a ty- is relevant. He mm. speaks today, but he's also because history repeats itself, a timeless villain, and I mm-hmm. think he's incredibly scary. You were talking about the power of Grindelwald, yeah. partly through his words, but also in his magic and the sort of blue flame kind of dragon that he conjures at the end. Um, what can you tell me about that? Is that a spell? And it takes a, a lot of, it takes kind of uh, Newt and Theseus and, and Nicholas Fumel and v- yeah. everyone teaming together to try and um, stop that yeah. from going out of control. Is that a demonstration of Grindelwald's magical power? Uh, what can you tell me about that spell? I think we loved the idea that... Um, that people have to come together to join, to join together to stand against something that mm-hmm. is 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 profoundly dangerous and threatening, and it was a sort of metaphor of joining together, which was probably the most important thing about that sequence. And when I was working with James Newton Howard, and we were talking to him about the sequence, you know, the music he created was initially it was very action driven, mm-hmm. you know, and I said James, that's not really. The vibe. I said, "This is a, this is almost like a celebration of when we join together to face down something that we all feel is wrong." And um, 
and we need to put that back in the earth where it belongs into history and he then he went away and he wrote a really beautiful mm. elegiac sort of mm. hymn almost to to sort of turning away the darkness and the um, the threat of these extreme ideas and threatening ideas that would challenge everything that we take for granted and um, so yeah it's it's a bit of powerful magic from Grindelwald sent out into the world and and the beautiful thing to us about that sequence was the fact that we're stronger when we work together against that kind mm-hmm. of uh, ideology and, and there are casualties there as well because because Lita she yes. dies in that scene mm-hmm. is, is she really dead is she gone for good is that a final death or with that being a sort of magical spell from Grindelwald is there a way that she could come back or is that do you think that's the end of her story uh, what I do think is is that you know when you die you die mm-hmm. I think death is real in Joe you know in, 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 in Joe's universe mm-hmm. um, I think it's important that 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 in the books and in the films that you know, though Harry can have a vision of of of, of, of Dumbledore, um, and there may be a nearly headless Nick in Hogwarts, that ultimately dead is dead. Yeah. You know, I think that makes that it, 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 it's it makes death more painful. Mm-hmm. I think that's really. And that's not to say that the sort of spirit form, as has happened in the Potters, people can't return with a message or. But I think I think completely agree I think to sort of keep the stakes the emotional stakes of the world present yeah if someone gets killed they have to stay mm-hmm. dead it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. I can't and, see Lita yeah. coming back hey. <laughs> yeah and when she turns to Newt and Theseus and, mm. and she says I, I love you who do you think she's speaking to which one of them do you think she's speaking to I love the fact that you don't really know and mm-hmm. I love the fact that you see Newt suddenly go, feel it she's saying it to him and Callum I I like the ambiguity of that moment and I don't think you always have to be so definite uh, in these moments Mm -hmm. my interpretation and it was his call I have to say but my interpretation is that she loves Theseus Theseus is her man for today if she were not dying she would marry Theseus and be very happy with him Mm -hmm. however Newt she loves as a first love Mm -hmm. and Newt will always be a part of her. Mm, that's beautiful. Lovely answer. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we're left with that, that's a kind of driver through the film and also a tantalising kind of note at the end is the, is the blood pact between nice. uh, Dumbledore yeah. and Grindelwald. Can you tell me a little bit more about w- what does that mean? How is that different to an unbreakable vow, which, we, which was also brought back in this film? And what does it mean that, that Dumbledore now has that blood pact? Fundamentally, it means that they can't fight each other. Um, mm-hmm. And if they do fight each other, um, Dumbledore has to pay a terrible price. He has to... F- fundamentally, he's breaking the pact. And he is then committed to doing something, which we'll discover in the next story. Mm-hmm. Um, again, so I don't want to really go into that too much, in too much detail. And it, it's... Yeah, it's... it's, it's it's the thing that stops them attacking each other in the, at this initial start mm-hmm. part of the story. And we develop that little scene where they make the blood pact to sort of convey the sensuality and the sort of of their relationship. It was it's very difficult in these movies to um, initially the arc of their relationship is fundamentally um, the spine of things going forward in many ways. That's mm-hmm. where we're going, but to sort of convey how deep their relationship was we created that wonderful little scene in the mirror when they 
bring their hands together. I mean, there, the Dumbledore-Grindelwald relationship is obviously a huge, mm. significant one and has shaped Dumbledore mm-hmm. and who he is today. Um, the scars of that, all the, um, all the power that that relationship brought. And Joe, I just, again, sorry, looking at this, these little films that were just made, um, hearing Joe talk about that relationship, that it was clearly, um, it was a sexual relationship, it was an emotional relationship. Mm-hmm. What she's interested in exploring is the emotional connection that the two of them had. And I think one of the things you did so beautifully with such limited time with them together is the power and the intimacy and the emotional connection that these two people had. It was really powerful in shaping them both, um, in, in, in shaping them both, but in particular in shaping Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. I wanted to ask um, Grindelwald, the, the sort of device that he has, the, the skull with the pipe, is there a name for that? Um, can you tell me a little bit more about what it's actually doing in that moment where it sort of conjures an image of, of World War II, I think is a really interesting note. He, I mean basically uh, Grindelwald is a, is a seer, he has this ability to foresee the future mm-hmm. and, um, and that skull um, device is an opportunity for him it's just a sort of means which allows him to present his visions to the people who follow him. So it's fundamentally a, a part of that magic. And um, but he has the the the, the, the gift of, of forward sight, basically, mm-hmm. and um, which is an extra threat to our key protagonists. Mm-hmm. Does it have a name? I don't know. We ever gave it a name, actually. We probably gave it for a name, but I'm not, yeah. uh, uh, well, yeah. filming. But I'm not sure we should repeat. Yeah, it. We, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, just as a quick last one yeah. to end on, um, I wanted to ask about some of the little Easter eggs because I'm sure yeah, there's tons sure. of them I picked up on uh, in one of the Hogwarts flashbacks. The name McLagan pops up. Yes, um, yes. You see the Philosopher's Stone in Nicholas yep. Flamel's yes. cupboard. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I, I wondered as well that that, that moment where uh, where Grindelwald has killed the couple who have the the flat in Paris mm, and yes. the boy, mm-hmm. their son, their toddler is on the floor and the yeah. framing of that felt very much like the way that you see Harry in the wake of Voldemort's attack was that was that a conscious choice and what can you tell me about other little kind of notes through uh, that are peppered through the, the film alluding back to Harry Potter you're also missing a key one Oh, Nagini. 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 Well, Nagini, of course, obviously by name, and, and McGonagall, and, McGonagall, and sure. yeah, there's there's plenty. But what what can you tell me more about that moment and other bits that people might have missed? I mean, the killing of the toddler. One couldn't help but reflect and refract on that idea of the boy who lived. So that was a visually, it was just an opportunity to sort of echo that in some shape or form, and that was. That was kind of... Uh, and that kid, by the way, was amazing. Mm. He literally um, was able to sit there, and we got that in two takes. Mm-hmm. I was so impressed by him. There was one scene that we actually Best took actor out. David worked with on the entire thing. <laughs> he was. The <laughs> only one who certainly could get two oh, yes. takes and out. <laughs> yeah. Actually, we had a wonderful scene with a baby as well, who was just extraordinary, that we cut out of the movie. It's going to be in the DVD extras. Mm-hmm. Um, Johnny had this incredible ability with kids and babies. They would just be so settled in his presence because he's such a sweet guy Mm -hmm. they would just immediately be hypnotized by him um mcgonagall i thought it was lovely to have back in the stories and i I know some fans uh have struggled with that for me it's an act of generosity and and wonder to have such a iconic character back in this world you know it's generous and and it's joe's world she can kind of do Do what what she she wants wants, basically i I really like about that that you that it's 
just thrown away. Yeah, it's me not too. like, oh, yeah. this is McGonagall. Yeah, you, you know, it blink was, and you miss that it, moment. You, so. as you, you know, as you say, it's sort of something you. It, it, it's like McClagan. You can easily not. It's just about taking it. It's almost like we're in a world where there's magic. You don't every time you see magic have people, have to have people go, wow. These are people who are surrounded by it and live with it. So there's mm-hmm. an element of taking it for granted. So too, a McGonagall or a McClagan. They're just part of our world. Mm. So that was uh, David Yates and David Heyman there talking about Fantastic Beasts of Crimes of Grindelwald and now it is our turn. I, yes, I'm going to say Grindelwald. That's Go Around the Room. Helen, general feelings about this movie and general feelings about where this franchise is going. Lots of positive bits of the movie. I thought there were lots of beautiful stuff in it as you would expect of a, a, a film made by the people behind this film and I don't just mean the cast but just the crews and everything are incredible. They have absolutely the best people on them. Um... So lots of beautiful stuff, lots of gorgeous craftsmanship. Um, I found it a little frustrating because I wanted it to move forward and give me a bit more sense of what the story of these five films is. And I find it quite slow to do that as I find the last one. I find, you know, there's a lot of people wandering around near the story, but not really engaging with the story uh, for for large tracts of the film. And, And I find that... Perhaps it's realistic, but it's it's also quite frustrating uh, at times as as means of storytelling. Um, so yeah, so I had some I had some issues, um, but at the same time, I'm hoping, um, as I probably said last time, that we've now moved some pieces into place and things are really going to kick off in film number three. So um, I'm hope <laughs> I'm still feeling optimistic about. Yeah. The possibilities here. I think the possibilities are still really exciting. Let's hope we're not saying this in two years' time with Fantastic yeah. Beasts. <laughs> film four, guys, is where it really comes together. Film five, that's going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, I just, yeah. I, I want I want more in the meantime. You need a satisfaction of now. Yes, as than, well as then. Yeah, delayed gratification ain't good in cinematic terms. Ben? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of similar to Helen on this. I think um, I probably preferred the the first film. I really like the first Fantastic Beasts. Um, I thought this one uh, is really dark. There are some really dark stuff in this. And I think that one of the things that David Yates is a di- director, he does some of the dark stuff really well, I think, um, especially those latter Potter books. He had some of the really kind of... Um, murky, uh, scary and uh, very sort of grown-up scenes to to do in those films and I think he does that side of the Wizarding World really well. I also really like the fact that it makes just big, bold moves that I think I'm going to be a little bit in limbo about exactly how I feel about them until we see how they play out in the next film because there are a couple of character decisions here in the very final act of the film that are kind of pretty big gut punches and um, I think it remains to be seen whether Jackie Rowland can really stick the landing in where she clearly sees these characters ending up and at the moment we're in that middle ground of the shock of what's just happened and waiting to see then how it falls further into place and how these characters are going to kind of face off against each other uh, over the next three films. Come on. I'm a lot more negative on this film than Helen or Ben, unfortunately. I mean, the first Fantastic Beast I thought was so-so, but there were more things uh, I found to like about that movie than in this movie. And just on a plot level and just a scene-to-scene level, I've tweeted after the movie, there are about four or five instances where I was wondering, how did we get here again? Um, <laughs> when it come, And that's and I was, I was really paying attention, um, but the editing is really bad. It feels like there's massive chunks of the movie missing. And also it feels like it's one big tease. Um, the, the end sort of revelation, which I'm sure we're going to get to, for me, 
it's, it's hard to... I, there's no way that piece of information has not been revealed at any point in the rest of the saga. And I, it, it didn't land for me uh, mm. for, that, for that reason. Um, but there are things I did like about it. I think Jude Law is definitely a bright spot. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, like Helen alluded to, the, the costume design, the, the creature design is, is really, really great. But yeah, on the whole, I, I did not like this film. Oh, damn it with faint praise there. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you mean. I, I, I do feel there's a much longer perhaps more satisfying version of this movie out there. I get the feeling there's a lot of cutscenes. People, as you say, do seem to show up in locations and we seem to have just and obviously we you know, we're not gonna watch people get the tube in every single film. <laughs> but there does seem to be an awful lot cut out. Uh, for yeah. example, towards the end, yeah, suddenly Cretans is there. He's at the graveyard. He's just there and it seems to be almost mid conversation and I feel we have there's a, a bit of that conversation and there's and perhaps I'm just being an idiot here, but the scene where Jacob wakes up uh, Nicholas Flamel's... In the safe house. The Bordry safe house mm-hmm. type thing. That just happens. Mm. And it feels to me that if there's so much has been made of the safe house and how important it is that there would be a big a bit sequence more about it being revealed and, and whatnot. But, you know, hey, maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. I, well, there, I do think there are various kind of slightly disjointed moments in there. And um, I think... The first time watching the film, uh, I've seen it twice now, I think the Mm. first time, um, it reminded me a little bit of The Last Jedi in a sense of the the film or or JK knows where the characters are going, but you as the viewer don't. You're kind of experiencing the shape of the film as it happens rather than the film telling you where it's going to go. And I think on second viewing, bits of it smoothed out a little bit more because you see, you go into it knowing what the characters' journeys are going to be, where they're started and where they're going to end up and how their paths are going to cross. But I think in the moment in that first viewing, when you don't know that, when you don't know quite where it's heading, it does feel a little bit wishy-washy and then you get those instances of thinking, where am I again and who's... There are also some, I think, real storytelling problems here in the sense that you know, for example, you have the um, the dark circus, the circus Arcanus. Um, there is definitely uh, an implication. In fact, there's a, a text that the owner is a bad guy who mistreats his his creatures. So you would expect Newt to kind of confront him to have some kind of role in coming up against this person at the very least to tut at him I mean there would there would be there should be something and yet yeah, to, to not look him in the eye and, <laughs> and to tell him off but at the same but by the time Newt shows up the circus is gone it's a bizarre bizarre decision and and equally if you're if you're stalling us on the sort of confrontation between Dumbledore and Grindelwald mm-hmm. um, fine I get it you're building up to this epic duel that ends an era in the wizarding world ends a wizarding war maybe but then maybe you need to have their sort of proxies Credence and Newt have some sort of relationship because again if Newt's whole thing is fantastic beasts the protection thereof then he needs to have some kind of actual chemistry scene relationship with Credence and we didn't get that in the last film Yeah, and we should have got it here Yeah I totally I agree with that actually I think there's Listen, I, I went at this movie with with ultra low expectations after having heard everyone, and even Ben, who's a massive Potter fan, and he came out with you know the slightly his face had gone white and his hair had gone white, which is really strange. And I went at ultra low expectations. I saw it last night, and I, you know, I I quite <laughs> I quite enjoyed it mm. at certain points, but I still have a lot of problems with 
the the look and the feel of these movies, and as they get increasingly darker, I think we're beginning to lose sight of what this franchise started as, which was a fun little tale about a, a boy wizard, and it had lightness and a darkness as well, yeah, yeah. obviously. But you have two babies killed in this one, yeah. <laughs> not just one, but two two babies, which is you know, yeah, it's a little. Much. Yeah, and and, but, and I mean there are those light yeah. touches still. I mean the the it made me laugh the, a few the, times. Yeah, the Chinese dragon, the cat thing, oh, yes. the Zowu. Mm. Yes, yeah. with the with the bells on the stake. Absolutely adorable, yeah. gorgeous. Yeah. Um, I had a little bit of a problem with the selkie, only in the sense that it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous creature design. Sorry, the kelpie, not the selkie. Kelpie. Um, <laughs> the kelpie, gorgeous creature design, great concept, love it. Where's it going to store? But it's Chekhov's. Kelpie, we never see it again. You don't introduce it in Act One. Film Five's going to blow your mind. <laughs> you JK's inter- playing the long game here. I mean, you got to fire the Kelpie by Act Three. Do you know what I mean? So, um, and also that that, um, that new sort of housekeeper that Newt has, who clearly has a hot for him, and, and, and that the made me crush. laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bunty. Take, take off your shirt, Bunty. Yes, yeah. and you was yeah, Bunty. It was in the name of a, a girl's comic book, and you it was something like that. Yeah, take off your shirt, <laughs> Eddie Redmayne. Is something no one has shouted at us on the screen. Oh, <laughs> I bet a lot of Potterheads heads will have been. You think? Yeah. You think? Go on, take off your shirt. Awkward, nerdy Hufflepuffs. Like, what? There, there is a big portion of the internet that that yeah. is their type. Oh, yeah. It's their go to. If he had taken off his shirt and he was mega ripped, like cheating on the good place, <laughs> that would have been. That would. Have, I would have been so furious. One of those people who are just kind of scrawny, but you're like, holy shit, you would yeah. like really He's kick got, the crap out of me. I've just counted them. He's got 10 abs, guys. And this, is, this really isn't good. Uh, my wife was counting them as well. It was so strange. I'm sure she was taking it picture it was so, so bizarre that you're she was doing that you're so obsessed with people being shirtless men specifically am I? yeah you found my blog yeah. <laughs> oh my god shirtlesshufflepuffs.com <laughs> that's 100% an existing oh, blog I it probably yeah. is oh, I'm, just I'm made searching it. for that immediately after this <laughs> just made another match in Grinder. <laughs> anyway 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 Back to the Credence thing, yeah. which I was talking about 10 minutes ago. Uh, I, I agree with that because I don't think there's enough... There are too many characters in this movie, uh, which is weird coming from somebody who loves Avengers Infinity War, but <laughs> that movie, I think, is a masterclass in how to deal with multiple, 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 multiple characters. This one, less so. Yeah. It loses the thread of so many characters for so long and the movie's emotional climax hinges upon Credence and us being in some way emotionally infested in him. And as good as Ezra Miller is in this movie, he is given less to do this time around than he was last time around. And I didn't feel his pain necessarily. Yeah. And I didn't connect with it on that level. And I feel we need to spend a lot more time. And you're absolutely right. He and Newt, if Newt is going to be our uh, our hero throughout these these five movies as it seems like something he that is. I think he has to justify because I don't yeah. think he's done so yet he has become active at some yeah. point rather than passive and in fairness that's obviously what the end of the movie is saying but like that's two movies in he's saying right I'm going to take a stand it's like really after two movies I, I, I quite like that though because I think the first one really introduces you to to him as the adventurer as the magic zoologist he he kind of stumbles into into the plot he is kind of incidental to the plot, whether you like that or not. And I think in this Except one, is he? Because it's made clear that Dumbledore sends him to New York in the first place. Yeah, so I think he is still incidental because uh, Dumbledore sent him yeah, he's, uh, to get the 
the bird, the Thunderbird, uh-huh. and it's the co- uh, the coincidence of his case breaking open and the attacks in New York that are conflated. That they think it's his beasts that mm, are causing yes, the, yes, the yeah. destruction in New York, or it's actually it's credence, and those two kind of plot threads converge. But even then, do you know um, what I mean? Like in the first movie, he should have then been obsessed with finding this obscurial, and mm-hmm. and he got distracted by other and, and things. And they do throughout. have a bit of a, a connection at the end of that first yeah. film. Where he's the person who who was trying to calm him down, saying exactly kind of, because he sees what what credence could become in a bad way but also that he he could still be okay yeah. and I, I i agree i did want more of their that. connection yeah. because he is somebody who would be very sympathetic to exactly to and because at the end of this film you have the whole thing with credence clearly being conflicted about the choice he has just made but we have no reason to see why he would be conflicted because there's no real competing claim on his affections. Our, our only reason to, to kind of empathise with that conflictedness is a general, hey, we know Grindelwald's a bad guy, so you should probably be conflicted right now. Oh, you are? Okay, great. I mean, but it's not, there's nothing in the text really that would kind of explain that, I don't think. Mm, agreed. Should we take some questions? Yes, please. Okay, so this question, the first question comes, and this is in completely random order, comes from at 90 Min Film Fest. Now, if you don't know what that is, that is our uh, old chum, Sam Clemens of the Picture House Podcast, has launched his own podcast uh, dedicated to films that, that run for less than 90 minutes. Cool. These no parts of movies in there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good podcast, check it out. Anyway, 90 Min Film Fest asks, So... Was Ezra Miller actually the baby on the boat who was swapped by Lita? Or was that someone else? If so, who was the mother slash woman he was with? And then, gets the second question in, which is cheeky. Who was the woman Flamel spoke to in his magic book? Now, does anyone feel qualified enough to answer these questions? Ben Travis. <laughs> okay, so the uh, the person in Nicholas Flamel's book is uh, someone called Eulalie Hicks. Uh, I wrote down the name uh, when it was in the cinema. We haven't seen her. This is a little bit like when we saw uh, Lita Lestrange in the first film uh, in picture form and then we're seeing her in this film. Eulalie is a uh, an American witch from Ilvermorny, the um, sort of American wizarding school, and she's going to appear in the third film, I believe. Uh, Jessica Williams is the uh, actress playing her. And yeah, it's already reported that she's going to have some kind of role to play in Fantastic Beasts 3. So I do wonder whether we might actually go to Ilvermorny in the next film. We've heard about it. Um, obviously, that's where Tina and Queenie went to uh, went to school. And there's a deleted scene, actually, from the first Fantastic Beasts where they sing the Ilvermorny school song. And cool. um, so... Obviously, J.K. is kind of building a, a bit of a mythology about the uh, the school across the pond. Uh, but yeah, that is who Nicholas Fumel was speaking to. As for the bit about the babies, surely we can't have a third random baby on the boat. Like that would just be too much, <laughs> wouldn't it? So let's just assume that he's the baby. And and that would mean that probably uh, theoretically, whoever had that baby is a. Dumbledore of some kind, although the whole mm. thing about the Dumbledore reveal mm. um, and that mm. uh, that is part of the reason I feel kind of that I need to wait and see what happens in the next film is that that news about Aurelius Dumbledore kind of conflicts directly with what we know or what we think we know already about Dumbledore, which is that um, Dumbledore's mum died when he was like a teenager, um, that uh, you've got Aberforth Dumbledore, who's his brother, who's in the Deathly Hallows, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got Ariana Dumbledore, who was bullied as a as a kid by some Muggle children who saw her using magic. Um, she kind of then started freaking out and having these sort of explosive magical bursts, which it's now since been theorised that she could also be an Obscurial. Sounds fairly plausible. 
But those are the only kind of children that we know that the Dumbledores had. And Albus's dad, Corin Boy, he ended up in prison and he died in prison and his mum died before Ariana died. So we don't really know how Aurelius fits into that family tree, if there's going to be some kind of revision of what we know. If that's even his name. If that is even his name. Although I do think the the nod there that, that you see the phoenix... I think it feels like a, a, a bit of extra weight to uh, what Grindelwald is, is telling him that he is a Dumbledore. Well, this brings us on to our very next question, which is from Asfar Shah, uh, at Syed Asfar Shah on Twitter. He asks, where does the pod land on the Dumbledore brother reveal? Do they think it's real? Or is it another Trumpian Grindelwald lie? This was a point of some debate in my family. And for the next five minutes or so, it'll be a point of some debate in this <laughs> pod booth. Come on. I think it's real. I'll be very disappointed if it turns out not to be. They, they, the whole film is building <laughs> up to that moment. So if we then find out in the future film that that was just a fake count, there will be blood. I don't um, know. I think every film should end with Credence being told he's someone else. <laughs> <laughs> next, he's going to be Newt's brother next. <laughs> I, I kind of thought that's where they were going in a, in a right. weird way initially. and the, the Dumbledore thing did take me by surprise. But why should we believe anything Grindelwald says? Including the pronunciation of his own name. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I'm, I'm inclined to... Th- I, I just hate it, so I'm inclined to think it's not real. <laughs> like, it really annoys me. Sidious Fensius. I don't have a reason, really, for that. But I mean, so the idea of Grindelwald, as we've, he's been explained to us, is that he is the sort of the seducer, in the sense that he will get you to believe things, to act against maybe your best interests or certainly your moral compass that he can talk anybody around given time. That's why they take his tongue when he's in prison. Slightly too late, apparently. Um, but uh, but at the same time, many people who act that way do so with a, around a kernel of truth. So it is entirely possible that he is using one here and it's just the worst twist in history. I don't know. But yeah, he, the interesting thing about what he says about what's coming, isn't it, is the vision of World War Two. I thought. That was... Mm-hmm. Wait, so... His vision is he wants to stop the Holocaust, the Holocaust yeah. and we're I, fighting against him. This is I don't think that's the case. I think that's part think of his kind of rhetoric of saying to other wizards, you need to be on my side because, look, I think look we can all coexist, can but we should be above them. And look what they're going to do in the future. If we don't take control and do something, this is what the Muggle world's is heading to and one of the ways that we can get past that is for you to follow me because I think the wizards but that's what I'm saying but But that's obnoxious because what because then our 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 bad guy Mm. is promising to stop it and our good guys I don't think he is I think he's he's threatening to do something much worse Mm -hmm. but he's seducing them by going look at this 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 is something we can easily prevent but once he gets them on board what he has planned for for, for muggles is a lot worse than sure but we don't know that we're not told that we don't don't know but you know I'm, I'm inferring it yeah but that's the point we have to infer it I think I don't think we should and I'm not saying because I think people are stupid I'm just saying you should be clear about why your villain is a bad guy and I'm not sure that that scene for me is really mm. messy. I've seen, I've, yeah, I've seen some people criticise that. That's that's for sure. Yeah. I don't, I don't read into that what you and, and others are reading into that. But I can see how you would. I wanted to rewind for a sec because you said uh, they took uh, Grindelwald's tongue in prison. They undo a lot of things from the first movie, like the first fifty minutes. Like yeah. Credence is alive, mm. and Grind- uh, Grindelwald is not 
in prison. Mm. And, and that was Jacob's memories just magically come back, yeah, which is fine. You know, it's all good. I had a problem with that. And the the, the openings to the uh, to the chase uh, sequence, escape sequence, is a little bit confusing. Mm. Well, uh, Jacob's memory came back at the end of the first film. There was a hint. Yeah, yeah. There was yeah. a hint. But but I think. I think Amon's right. The first fifteen minutes of this basically goes, "Hey, Credence is dead. No, he's not. He's alive. Hey, Jacob's lost his memories. No, he hasn't. He's." Got them back again. But he's under a different enchantment. <laughs> he's under a different enchantment. Grindelwald's in prison now for three minutes. And it just feels like, what was the point of the last film? Yeah. Why not just start here? Yeah. Ben, honey, can't help this, but I still don't know why Dumbledore places so much faith in Newt to hunt down Grindelwald. It's, well, it's not clear. Well, I think it's um, several things. First of all, um, I think he can be fairly certain that Newt isn't going to be talked around by Grindelwald because he doesn't get talked around by really anybody, even when it might be in his best interest to be talked around. Um, So I think that's possibly the major thing. Mm -hmm. Jude Law talked about this in an interview I was in and he uh, he was saying that everybody has that really good friend, the guy who's just a really good person who you kind of go to when you want to know what the right thing to do is and you avoid when you know what the right thing to do is but you don't want to do it. Chris is gesturing at himself right now, just, just so you know. And and Jude, certainly Jude Law's take was that's that's Newt for yeah. I think he needs somebody rather than somebody powerful. He needs somebody incorruptible. I really like that scene between uh, Jude Law's Dumbledore and, and Newt, where he says um, where they're sitting on the bus, and he basically says to him like, "You you're a person who I trust. When the time comes, you will do the right thing. Mm-hmm. As passive mm-hmm. as you are at the moment." And his brother has already told him, look, you're going to have to pick a side at some point. Mm-hmm. I think Dumbledore trusts in his empathetic nature as somebody who cares. It seems like no one else in the Wizarding World really has any sort of care for magical creatures and magical beasts. And that empathy that he has, mm-hmm. I think, is the thing that makes him stand out to, to Dumbledore. The portrayal of the Wizarding World is is interesting here, generally, isn't it? So the, there's a, a very good piece on, um, I think, the Daily Dot by... Gavia Baker-Whitelaw talking about the costumes because, and she's she's right, now while I adore the costumes, I absolutely want them all in my wardrobe, especially all the coats. Um, she points She points out fairly that they make absolutely no sense in universe. Um, that as we join the Harry Potter universe pure blood wizards are quite and this is following a whole other conflict with Voldemort pure blood wizards are quite proud of their separateness from muggles. They dress very differently to muggles habitually, day to day, normally. So it makes zero sense that at a time when muggles and wizards were even further apart, that they would dress almost identically to muggles, nomages, nomagique, whatever yeah. you want to call them. Um, and actually, it, it, there is, yeah, there is no good reason in the text that we know of why they would be wearing these gorgeous tailored 20s outfits. So what you're saying is that Jude Law needs to take his shirt off. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm, that's what I'm hearing. It's funny that that's what you're hearing. Hang on. Just got another matching grinder. I'm not, sure this, I'm not sure if this stuff's saying it, by the way. But it could be fun for us to enjoy in the room. Anyway, but... Um, yeah, I get that, but also I don't give a shit because uh, I like yeah. those clothes and I want yeah. to. And I think uh, Jude Law as Dumbledore is really, really good in this film, yeah. and I want more of him next time around. But the problem with that yeah. is then that that eats into Newt's time. Uh, and all and of these the characters, there's so many of these characters so many. to serve. It, it, it does suffer a little bit from that sequel itis. The 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 problem of the gangs all here that you like this person in the first movie, ergo 
we have to bring them back and the curse of the sequel give them a bit more to do. So it's how Shia LaBeouf's parents go from being really a brilliant comic relief in the first Transformers to, oh my God, someone drop a wardrobe on them <laughs> by the time the third and the fourth films roll around. It's the third just, film rolls around. There's so little character development for so many characters in this movie. Newt's brother, beyond him being an aura and Newt's brother, what do we learn about him? Nothing. Mm. And you can say that about so many characters in this movie. Um, and that's a problem. Mm. I, I liked the inclusion of, of Theseus. I, I thought he would have more to do, but I liked mm. him as somebody who I, I genuinely believed in the sort of uh, big brother, little brother relationship there, that his older brother is hes a bit more serious, he's a bit more grown up, but he also has... Um, a lot of understanding for his brother and why he is the way he is, that when he um, offers Newt that opportunity at the start to to become an aura, to take a stand and to have this pretty badass job and Newt kind of awkwardly turns it down as he as you know he's going to do, um, he's he's not mad at him about it. He he has an understanding with him. Mm. I thought, I, I, I do wonder if that's partly where this is heading to, the fact that Newt um, has decided that actually he does need to take a side in, in what's coming up, whether one thing we might see over the next few films is him maybe becoming an aura, which I think would be an interesting journey for that character. Interesting. So who, who is the, um, is it Grimson? There's the evil, the clearly evil aura who basically interrupts that meeting with right. Theseus and the other Aurors and, and Newt. And Newt clearly has a, a history with this guy because he leaves him in and he sees him. And then he turns up at Credence's place. He's the one who concocts a spell around himself so that Credence's uh, obscurial powers don't affect him, whereas they've blown everyone else away. And I'm fascinated by that character because he is so obviously evil. Why would the Ministry of Magic send him after Credence? The Minister of Magic is notoriously terrible at spotting evil people. <laughs> um, I do think there are slightly too many kind of slightly anonymous um, yeah. kind of old white man characters in this so you're supposed to kind of know who they are but they're also not really that distinctive but they will have on... Uh, on Film 5 is going to blow your socks <laughs> off. <man. laughs> but even the ones who are visually distinct uh, like uh, is it Rosier Poppy Corby Tush I only know her name because it's written on IMDb I don't think she's named in the film yeah yeah. This is she's a, just yeah. evil henchwoman yeah. yeah the henchwoman like, yeah. yeah you know so I, there's a lot of those kind of characters and that's fine to be honest like you don't always need everybody to have a detailed you know JK Rowling-esque backstory on a screen I, I understand that but at the same time I don't know maybe just wouldn't it be more effective if he had a bit more of a sense of the people around him if he is the great seducer if he is the great you know person who twists people mm. against their instinct mm. uh, I, she's I very striking visually but uh, yeah. yeah I see what you mean mm. there's also that uh, guy Crawl who gets consumed by the fire at the end and again I just get the feeling that there's more to his story that we haven't seen and more to that sort of mm. why does the fire consume him what's it, what's it about because there's a sense that he's maybe not as committed to Grindelwald slash fault as the others but we need to see that, I think, rather than, as Helen pointed out, infer it. I just want to go back to a couple of things. Jude Law as Dumbledore, fantastic in this movie. That scene on the bus, was I the only person detecting a slight hint of an Irish accent at times? Uh, I thought maybe that was a nod to Michael Gambon. And then the rest yeah. of the movie, it's not there. Yeah, I think he's going for a, a, just a, a hint, and, and sometimes it's not detectable. <laughs> maybe... All right, okay, good. Uh, and then at the end of the movie, 
I told you it's a spoiler special, guys. Uh, Lisa, when she turns to, she turns and says, I love you, mm. she sent it to Newt, right? You know, she doesn't give a shit about Theseus, <laughs> right? I think that's what we're meant to think that Newt thinks, at the very mm-hmm. least. Okay, but isn't it, are we meant to think that Theseus thinks he's saying that she sent it to him, but in reality, there's a, there's a, well, there's a reason why it's a two-shot. Yeah, it's, than, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think you might get a moment later on where Theseus thinks... She was saying it to news. But in the moment, he certainly seemed like he thought it was for him. I think they both think it's for themselves and they read it in that different way because I do genuinely, the impression that you get from this is that even though there is um, still a bit of awkwardness between Newt and Lita, that, that their love for each other is more kind of friendship love. Whereas I think she has a real genuine kind of romantic love with Theseus. And I, I really like that moment where she turns and, and says, I love you. And uh, even the way that she delivers that line, you can feel the sort of the part of it that she should Theseus. be more specific. <laughs> She's huge. <laughs> Pointing as well, doing Theseus, point. my darling fiance, I love you. Just for clarification purposes, if, is anyone taking minutes here? I am looking at Theseus when I say this. Spe- All right. Speaking of love, though, I did think the salamander eyes thing oh. was, was adorable. Yeah, that was, yeah. I I love it was that really scene. nicely played by both. Yeah. It was. It was very, very I sweet. think that's one of the best scenes in the film, yeah. actually, I think. Because, uh, I, I re- again, I really like the, the relationship, the kind of slowly, uh, the relationship between Newt and Tina that is gradually becoming less awkward. And having revisited the, the first film um, after having seen Crimes of Grindelwald, mm. I think it threw into sharp relief a little bit more that when they first meet, they don't get along and they're working kind of against each other. And the fact that then they're like, oh, actually, I kind of like you. And then by this point, they're kind of getting a bit better at showing that to each other. I really like that scene. Do you think we've seen the the last of Lita? Now she's a lot lighter? Yeah, I mean, so I asked the the Davids about this and um, one of the things that they kind of said was the death in Harry Potter is is final. There's never been an instance other than... (laughs) Other than visions or yeah. paintings. Priori and Cantasem, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. No yeah. character has ever fully come back. And I think that is quite... Harry. Harry's <laughs> the only one. There we go. And Voldemort. <laughs> Apart, Apart from, from the two most two. important characters <laughs> in the entire Harry Potter saga. But mm-hmm. any of the incidental characters, that that's the sort of line that they tend not to cross. And I think, I mean, it, it is, it's pretty... Fridgy, which is a shame, but I think that part of Lita's death is is having to show Newt that actually there are going to be casualties in the situation. You mm. can't sit on the sidelines. She was in danger of giving the the strange family a good name, so yeah. I guess I guess she had to go. Uh, any other revelations in that last uh, confrontation that surprised you? It's I mean, clearly going for for Empire Strikes Back five, where the the bad guys essentially win, the good guys lose. But did you buy the Queenie revelation? Let's that- talk about Queenie. Yeah, oh, I was about okay. to say. Yeah, it's I can see that they did put the effort into building that one up. They did have those moments. They did have her feeling uh, despairing, alone, abandoned. I'm not sure that like a day not being able to find your sister in Paris is necessarily enough, but okay, it's on a you know accelerated time frame, and she is a sensitive person. It, it still felt quite left field, and I think if you are rooting for the love story between Queenie and Jacob, then it's a real kick in the teeth, which could give it you know some really effective drama, I guess, in the next couple of films. So I don't know. I'm, I mean. Is she not wary when they give her better lipstick? Uh, I mean, is that not a sign that she's maybe on the wrong side? Because it's kind of the female equivalent of wearing a skull on your cap, you know? Mm. The better, the darker lipstick. I, I, yeah. 
I just feel like she should know that she's now the baddies. That she, well, she gets to Numa Garden. They go, here's your baddie wardrobe. You're going to yeah. wear some slightly more imposing clothes. And, exactly. Um, Did you buy she, them she does not come up well uh, with that decision. And doesn't she a, a, a legitimate? Like, she, she means mine, so, yeah. you know. I presume she can't read Grindelwald's mind. Yeah, I assume movies. he can shield against that. Yeah. Okay. But, but yeah, she still does not come from. And yes, they did try and do some things, but it was far too slight yeah. for that moment to land the way it needed to land. I think it's an interesting idea, and obviously you can you can look at Grindelwald as analogist to oh I don't know um, oh who's the president of the United States of America <laughs> at the moment uh, in terms of the most recent election and even the midterms and the 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 conversations I think that have split people down the middle have actually split families down the middle in the states uh, where people cannot believe that you would vote for Trump or you would not vote for Trump yeah. and I think that for me that is an attempt to go in that direction that you wouldn't believe you can't believe that Grindelwald has somehow somehow managed to worm his way into Queenie's affections I think one of the slight failings of this film and the last film in in the world building, generally the world building, building is really good, but one thing I think it doesn't get across strongly enough is the idea that normal wizarding society at this point, especially in America, is very strict. That mm. There is no kind of crossing those boundaries that, that muggles and, and wizards don't associate. That It's not just that they, they're kind of separate, that, that there is a real line there that shouldn't be crossed. And they talk about it a bit, but they, it's not really come across in a story sense yet. And I think you needed that to come across a bit more strongly to understand why Queenie would make such a big decision when she's kind of yeah thinking about her relationship with Jacob and, and making that choice to go with Grindelwald. Because I think one of the things that sticks a bit with that choice is that, yes, he the, the version of his idea that he tells her is that, that she would be able to get married to a muggle if she wanted to, but also his ideal is that the person that she would get married to, he sees as a sort of lesser human being. So I think there is a kind of, yeah, it doesn't quite work in that sense. And I think it needed a little bit more behind her choice rather than just, well, I like this bloke, so I'm going to go with the evil guy who says that I can be with the nice man. Um, and I feel like in the first film, it, it, her character just has changed a lot between films. And in the first film, she uses her the way that people see her, the, the kind of very blonde, the very uh, the, that that sense of what she looks like. She uses that against people and their perceptions of her. There's a, a scene in the first one where she's um, kind of leaving the the ministry with uh, Newt's case mm. and. Yeah, claims it's ladies' things. Yes, he won't exactly. Look in it, that kind of thing. Yeah, and she she comes across as very kind of actually like well together, and um, she yeah she kind of uses society's view of who she is against them um, to to get away with things. And I think with this one, it pursues her in a much more troubling light, where she is kind of a bit she's just kind of a bit crazy and and ditzy, and mm-hmm, she's. Mm-hmm. It's really horrible what she does to Jacob. He's really right to kind of be pissed off. From the off, where she's enchanted him, yeah. Yeah, and and I think as well the fact that he says to her, look, in the UK, we can get married. It's less strict over here, we can get married. I think that still sticks to the point where you go, so why would she make that huge choice to go with Grindelwald? That Even he's not following you across there. I do wonder what we're missing between films. I thought Alison Siddall was great in the first movie I'm not a huge fan of the first movie but for me she was probably the best thing in it I do wonder because at the end of the last movie she's 
she walks back into Jacob's life and there's a hint that he's beginning to remember and everything's hunky-dory and that's a happy ending. And next thing you know, she's enchanted him and is dragging him along to London. What's going on there? We're, we're missing something there. So, you know, it may be filled in. In discussing this movie with other people, I've, I've said that it plays like a book because all these details that we want to know. In the book, you can see J.K. Rowling filling in all of them, all of those details, but um, obviously you can't do that with a film. It has to sort of, there's a certain flow that the film needs to mm. have. and it, it, It's a different it job like, of structuring, actually. Exactly. And it feels like either nobody or sort of basically people rarely checked the screenwriter because the screenwriter was J.K. Rowling and, you know, J.K. Rowling knows <laughs> I've got shit. some notes, yeah. Joe. No, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you're right. I don't. <laughs> I can see it play, I can see it being some sort of version of that because the screenwriting in this is, I mean, either that or there's going to, the, the, the deleted scenes is going to be, uh, it's going to be a mm. whole bunch. There were almost never any deleted scenes with the Harry Potter movies. Almost never because they just had such a huge job to do in so little time. Mm. But I wonder if that's going to remain the case in these. Mm. So at Jamie Bolt in 1992 asks, is Rowling beginning to meddle too much? What with the big reveal at the end and throwing in fan service like McGonagall, even though she shouldn't have even been born. Is that correct, Ben that Travis, the Keeper of the Flame? Why is it correct? Is there canonical? She shouldn't even have been born. I'm not sure if she, she shouldn't no, have been. No, she shouldn't have been born. But she definitely wasn't supposed yeah. to be teaching at Hogwarts by that point. I'm furious. I believe she was born in the 30s, canonically. Uh, <laughs> what? Retcons, I'm going to tip man. my chair over now. I'm so infuriated. <laughs> uh, does this threaten the integrity of her original stories? See, for me, I didn't know that about McGonagall. And I just thought, oh, that's cute. It's McGonagall. And I like saying McGonagall. So yeah, it's, I was a, fun, it's a fun word. Um, I mean, look, yeah, there are always changes to canon. I mean, we've talked sometimes about the Marvel timeline. I'm not sure if anyone's ever noticed. Um, <laughs> to be honest, I think you have to hand wave at a certain point to keep your sanity. So I'm going to hand wave that one because it is quite fun because more McGonagall <laughs> is always a good thing. Um, but, but yeah, it is completely wrong and it shouldn't be there for sure. The problem is, of course, that no other teacher that we know at Hogwarts should have been there at that time. So... Including I, Dumbledore know, or...? No, Dumbledore's fine. He's okay. like 150. He's all right. But like there's, <laughs> there's actually very few characters in the Harry Potter era who are even mentioned who would have been alive in the 1920s. A few people have sent in a question saying, are we annoyed slightly by the sort of contraction of the universe that again is becoming a little bit like Star Wars and that everyone knows each other or is related to someone who knows each other. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that the only two people of colour who are sort of, you know, featured in any way in this movie happen to be related is a problem. And, you know, I've, you know, there's been numerous, it's been heavily documented, but the Harry Potter universe has a problem mm. when it comes to people of colour anyway. And so for, for that to be revealed in the movie was not, yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does make the universe... Um, feel quite small mm. in a way but I think to an extent the Potter universe kind of always has in the you always got the sense that the wizarding community in terms of like the old families and things it was always a relatively small oh sure but we're, bunch. we're going to two new countries mm. so we should be widening that out and you know fair enough we haven't been to Ilvermora yet that's that's mm. okay I think I do think we're going to get there I, I you know I think that's coming by the signs of it in the next film but you know we don't really meet 
much in the way of French wizards here. We don't get any real sense. I mean, we go around the ministry, but we don't get any real sense of how it operates, what the wizarding laws are in France, what yeah, it's how interesting things that, are. It's interesting we didn't go to Beaubatons because yeah. it's already established in the Potter universe that, mm. what the French. I was thinking is. exactly the same thing. I, I wrote that down in, Did you? in yeah, feverish yeah. <laughs> serial killer scroll. <laughs> Green ink as well. Uh, yeah. Why? Why? Whenever um, Queenie goes to the French, the, the Magique de Ministry, which I believe is what they say in France. Ministre why, de Magique. Voilà. Whatever, Helen. Uh, why do they say that they don't know Tina? Is that them well, that, being weird? That or? was a little confusing to me. I think that means that she's there, sort of undercover, like she hasn't. She's not on an official mission to France. But again, that's not something that's actually addressed. Um, and she gives the impression to everyone else that she is. And and it's weird as well because in this film she's very much kind of got her groove back. She is officially an Auror again. She's officially back in her comfort zone of being an Auror. Um, so why would she then immediately risk that by chasing off to France in pursuit of an obscurial? It's, it is bizarre. Um, and again, I think if they had done a better job in the first film of building up some kind of relationship between Newt and Credence, mm-hmm. she could have actually even if she did so in a grumpy manner that suggested that she was cross with him, sent Newt, and I think that would have been more fi- efficient. It does feel weird for us to be criticising J.K. Rowling's storytelling because like, she has like a billion reasons why she's better than any of us. But, but even so, like, I do think that there are some weird choices here. I do, I do wonder if the story uh, is, is more fleshed out in her head than what we see on the screen and actually agreeing with, with what you guys have said, that somebody like Steve Clovis, who did a really good job, mm-hmm. actually, I think generally in finding through lines through the Harry Potter books, especially yeah. the later ones, you know, yeah. finding what that central thread is and then wrapping some of the other stuff around where possible. Um, that having somebody like that to just help guide, uh, okay, this is what the story is, but this is what you need to show and this is what you need to tell and this is when things need to happen. Um, I, uh, that is something I, I would hope to see going forward, but I think it will mm. be her authorship all the way, I think. It is fascinating because obviously with the books, you, we knew from a very early stage it was going to be seven books and she knew she had pretty much the entire story in her head. I don't think too much came to her at the 11th hour. And you have to imagine this is the same thing as well, but this is a different a, a, a different medium, different mm. art form, and it, it's going to be interesting to see if our, our patience is rewarded a fifth film. Mm. It's going to knock your socks off. I, I am looking forward to Dumbledore versus Grindelwald. I would say that. Uh, looking mm. forward to seeing that on screen. But mm-hmm. if you ask us to list anything else, I'm really looking forward to it at this point. I'm, I would struggle. What do we think of the, the, the reference? Uh, do we think it was a somewhat coy reference to Dumbledore and, and Grindelwald uh, again and their their romantic relationship again, in the past? Mm. You know, there was a really good article about uh, sort of how films should when they're talking about sort of gay characters actually sort of go full hog and I think it was written by Amy West in the uh, yeah. previous issue of Empire Magazine this is another one to add to that list if you're going to do that actually go for it and do it and make an impact uh, uh, for that uh, minority mm. Yeah, I think I think that's true. I think we can't keep having this sort of these mentions off screen. Oh, Lando is pansexual, or you know, yep. um, Dumbledore is gay. It's like, okay, but like 
I mean, it doesn't. They don't have to be R-rated sex scenes. Just, <laughs> but you know, in the same way that you would show a heterosexual couple being a heterosexual couple, you should do the same with a gay couple or a lesbian couple or a pansexual droid man couple yeah. in a mm. in the Millennium Falcon. I don't know. It's a weirdly chaste world. Although I noticed there were there were quite some you know, for, for the probably the first time in the Potterverse there were costumes that were on the risque side, but it's quite a chaste world. I mean, obviously, Newt and Tina have that. Endless Richard Cartesian flirtation yes. that may never be consummated until I tell you what, guys, I'm sorry, I was going to knock your socks off. But, you know, and Jacob and Queenie have their own thing going on. Sorry, but not so much not knock your socks off as knock boots. Knock boots. Hey. <laughs> Helen, there's going to be so much shirtlessness in, in film five. You're obsessed with My blog, I will be updating it for days. Oh, I just got another hit and grinder. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear do you like attractive single wizards in your area <laughs> anyway sure should we talk very very quickly and um, we probably should have a little bit more time to talk about this guy but nevertheless he's a title character mm. uh, the crimes of uh, no Grindelwald Grindelwald uh, played by Johnny Depp we've talked at length on the Empire podcast about how replacing Colin Farrell with Johnny Depp was a, a bit boneheaded but you also have to take the performance itself and the character itself and set everything else aside as hard as that may be. What do we think of Depp? What do we think of Grindelwald? Do we think that we can replace him with Colin Farrell again in the next movie? Oh no, he's had a tragic overdose of polygyst potion. Oh no, he's stuck looking this way now forever. Oh my God, oh, that's dreadful, dreadful. Uh, and uh, do we think that, you know, to horribly paraphrase Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park uh, you do uh, eventually plan to have uh, some Crimes of Grindelwald in your uh, 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 Crimes of Grindelwald movie he, he does kill two people and a baby he has other people do it for him and so you know it was his crime well you're a barrister I'm not going to argue <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't think he was bad but he wasn't great either Colin Farrell was, for me, the best thing about Fantastic Beasts, the first film. So, definitely underwhelming. I, I, obviously, you know, obviously, it's done now. I don't think they should have kept him, but it is what it is. It, he was fine. It, it, there, there were certain scenes where he was compelling to watch, I think. Um, when, he's doing, when, he's, when he's giving this big speech in the final act of the film, I thought that was pretty good. But yeah, uh, I can just I can see Colin Farrell doing a much better job. <laughs> I, I think he, I think he's good in the time that he has in the film, which isn't a huge amount actually, considering he's the title character. Um, yeah. But he, the scenes that he gets are relatively meaty, and I think he does purely performance-wise a good job. But I don't think he's so good that he's irreplaceable. Okay, so refresh my memory here for the last few Potter films, because as far as I can remember. The Potter films take place almost exclusively from Harry's POV. He's in almost every single scene, right? So we don't see that many scenes where it's just Voldemort plotting with his goons, right? Not that right many, that? no. So the, the, the change for this movie, where we do spend quite a bit of time with Grindelwald and his, and his goons, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought of that, but it is true. I think we we're supposed to get more of an insight into his head, I suppose, and, and where he's coming from, um, which I'm not 100% sure that we really did anyway. I, th I think you need it for him because um, of what he does in that he he has his extreme views that he talks about when he's alone with his people and they have that scene uh, in the in the French mm. 
house where he says, no, we don't, we don't say this aloud. This is what, is what we believe, but we don't say this version of it out loud. I think you need that insight into mm. his more interior world so that then you can see the, um, the difference when he's in front of the public, the version that he says in front of other people. Yeah, I, I think there's a really interesting... I don't think it was a misstep necessarily in how the character is designed, but he looks so weird and off-putting yeah. that I'm not sure that you entirely buy that he is as charming or as seductive as we are meant to believe, that he has rallied all these people around. Then again, what do I know? The America is governed by a man who's wearing some sort of weird ferret on his head. So, <laughs> I, No, I, 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 I actually agree with that. I think he should probably look better. I mean, just on a on purely you know, base level, look how good Jude Law looks in this film and mm-hmm. then look at his ex-boyfriend. Like, come on. You're <laughs> generally, generally couples look approximately as attractive as each other, you know. You kind of want to have that sort of equivalent. And also just like as in terms of uh, dynamics, it gives you a sort of the same dynamic between the two. You want that equivalence, dramatically speaking, to, to set up this face-off. Um, no, I, I'm guessing the idea is that the dark magic that he's used has eroded his look yeah. somewhat, given him the weird eye, all that kind of thing. But it is a distraction that I don't think is necessarily effective. Two really quick points. Uh, Grindelwald, all the way through the film, talks about how Credence is going to come to Lem, which is very Emperor Palpatine, not Noel Edmonds, and I'm a celebrity. <laughs> and in the end, he goes to Credence. He shows up on the on the roof and goes, Hey, when to come to the, the, the symmetry of big character reveals tonight. Hello We're chess, having a big yeah. old party. At, that's the French... Translation, the cemetery of big character reveals. It's really not. It's Father Lachesse. Father of the big character reveals. That's, <laughs> that's what that means. Uh, so that's a little point. that You don't have to respond to that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's a real place, by the way. People can go to the cemetery. It's Paris. where Jim, Jim Morrison's buried um, and Oscar Wilde. But I don't know about oh. the big underground room with the blue fire. I don't no, I, I, don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's a thing. Uh, and the very last question comes from Logan Jane Nicholson. What was everyone's favourite beast? Zowu. 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 And the Niffler. God, I love that Niffler. And he's got a poor he's got a poorly foot at the end. And he was a good boy who got the blood pact. <laughs> he he made the biggest impact in this film because I think the, the blood pact thing that it ends on, that is the reason that Dumbledore and Grindelwald can't go against each other because they made that pact. Now Dumbledore has it. If he can find a way to break it, then he can move against Grindelwald. And that's all down to that Niffler. He's very good. I like him. They're good nifflers, Brandt. <laughs> 14 <laughs> out of 10 for that niffler. Hecking good. <laughs> Hecking good niffler. <laughs> uh, if anyone wants to follow us on our new Twitter account, we write nifflers, <laughs> then do check us out there. That would be an amazing Twitter account. Anyway, that is it for our Fantastic Beasts of Crimes of Grindelwald spoiler special. It has been an absolute blast. Next spoiler special, there's a lot of them coming over the next few weeks, will be for Creed 2 with the director Stephen Cable Jr. And that's going to be a lot of fun. And then after that, Aquaman. <gasps> Aquaman with director James Wan I'm really looking forward to seeing that movie um, I, I probably should leave so I can do go and do that uh, thank you so much for listening thank you in the meantime of course to Helen O'Hara thank you Ben Travis goodbye Amon Warman goodbye and it's goodbye from me I'm off to update my blog on shirtlessness in movies it's, it's a lifelong task guys it's a tough cross to bear someone's got to do it thanks so much for listening see you next time bye Especially bearing it's shirtless. <laughs> oh, got another matching grinder.